Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I'm your host Kate Boyle and this week on the podcast I am chatting about the 10 foods to avoid for better health. Now some of these are individual foods and some of these are food groups in general that if we want to really optimize our health and well-being and really focus on our longevity, you know, our energy and feeling at our best and reducing our risk of disease, then these are the 10 foods that if we can avoid, and it isn't always possible, but if we can, these are the things that we want to be leaving out of our diet. Now, my first one that I want to start with is any food that has ingredients that you can't pronounce. You know, you know, those foods that have amino bifenylsinzonate and monoglycinate in it and all these things that are really tricky to pronounce because generally if they're tricky to to pronounce then it's going to be some type of chemical coloring or synthetic material that really isn't food. It's a food like chemical or a food like product but it's not an actual food. So where possible if we turn over our packets and we have a look at the ingredients and there's names that we really struggle to pronounce or we don't even recognize, then these are the types of foods we want to be leaving out of our diet. So that's our first one. Number two, we want to try to avoid foods that have artificial colors and flavors. So there are many different artificial colors and flavors. And a lot of studies now are showing that they are linked to an increased risk of allergies, asthma, skin conditions and rashes, and even in certain cases, cancers. So some of the big ones that we want to try to avoid are red 40, yellow 5, and yellow 6. And these are known to contain contaminants that are potentially cancer-causing substances. So if you can keep at least those three out of your diet, you're already better off. And these types of things are found often in, you know, lollies and products that, you know, require these food colorings often aimed and marketed at children, you know, because they're bright and colorful but they're really terrible for our body. So some known carcinogens have been found in different food dyes, and these are their numbers are 3, 29, 30, 31, and 32. So definitely avoid, avoid those food dyes where possible. And then also anything that is listed uh, on the ingredient packet, if you see benzidine, number 4-amino B phenyl, and number four, dash amino azobenzene. So again, going back to those words that we can't pronounce, these are the type of chemicals, and in this case, artificial colors and flavors that we're trying to avoid. Now, they're not only just in bright colored foods like lollies and chocolates and things, but you also might find them in things like sauces and pickled vegetables. So if there is any changes in color to our foods due to a heating process, you know, or a pickling process, 
they will add in dyes and colors to bring it back to that original color that we're familiar with. So, you know, for example, with the pickled veg, you'll often find that olives and that will have extra food dye in them to make them blacker for Kalamata of olives or greener for, you know, your normal green olives. So definitely check those. And then when it comes to sauces, things like curry sauces and stir fry sauces, if we want to get more of that, you know, red flavor flavor or red color and uh, green color, just really make them vibrant, you'll often find that they add these in. So definitely always read your ingredient list where possible. Okay, moving on to number three, we want to try to avoid food that contains artificial sweeteners. Now, there's been a few studies recently and they've made it it to, you know, mainstream media that are suggesting now that there's even more evidence to show that artificial sweeteners can be linked back to a higher risk of stroke, heart disease, cancers, and death. So again, there are potential links and there are studies that show this. The side effects that of artificial sweeteners, which you'll find on your products, you'll often turn over and it'll say potential side effects of artificial sweeteners can include weight gain, poor blood sugar control, and an unhealthy gut. So again, where possible, limit, you know, artificial sweeteners, opt for making your own at home. You know, I'm a big advocate for making healthy alternatives at home. But if you're short on time, look for foods that are whole foods, you know, go for the apple rather than the muesli bar that might have artificial sweeteners in it, you know, or go through for that whole piece of fruit rather than, you know, a lolly, a diabetic lolly. So really try to cut down on those artificial sweeteners if you can. They're generally found in diabetic products because obviously diabetic foods, they're trying to reduce the sugar intake, but they want to keep the flavor. So they swap out the sugar and replace it with an artificial sweetener. You'll also find it in any type of diet food or any foods that's advertised as being low calorie. So things like our diet soft drinks or even just diet drinks in general, it doesn't have to be a soft drink. You know, they're advertised as being low calorie, but that's because they've swapped out the sugar for these artificial sweeteners, which have just as much, if not more, you know, issues on our health. So, you know, as always with this stuff, try not to eat too much of it. If you know you're a regular consumer, um, a big one that tends to be in is like chewing gum. You'll find artificial sweeteners in chewing gum. So it's not, the evidence is showing that there are links. It's not a cause and effect. So it's not saying if you eat this, you will get heart disease, but it's saying that you may be at an increased risk. So where possible, cut back on these foods. Okay, moving on now to number four, foods containing hydrogenated fats. Now, hydrogenated fats, or it's generally an oil, you'll find in hydrogenated oil, is a type of fat that food manufacturers use to keep foods fresher for longer. It's also cheaper, okay? And hydrogenation is a process where manufacturers add hydrogen to a liquid fat, such as like a vegetable oil, to turn it into a solid fat at room temperature. So it makes the fat more stable and therefore the shelf life of the product is extended. So it's used a lot in manufacturing just to make sure that their products last for longer on the shelves so that they can make more money and have a longer expiry date. So, you know, that manufactured form 
is a trans fat or can be a trans fat, and it's known as partially hydrogenated oil. So if you look at a food and on the back it has partially hydrogenated oil, it's another name for trans fat, okay? So just, you know, it's really good to know that because a lot of nowadays in quite a few countries, trans fats have been banned because of their health effects, but in a number of countries, they haven't. And this is also like a little loophole that food manufacturers use. They put it as partially hydrogenated oil rather than a trans fat so that they can get away with putting it in their products. Now, the types of products that you'll generally find these hydrogenated fats in are usually baked goods. So things like cakes, cookies, pies, biscuits, you know, all these types of things that we always say we don't buy and we don't eat, but sometimes we do. And that's okay. We're just saying we want to try to avoid these foods where possible. Now, the other places you'll find them is in shortening. Okay. So any, you know, baked goods again that have shortening in them will generally have a hydrogenated fat, Uh, microwave popcorn, frozen pizzas, uh, refrigerated doughs. You know, you can often buy those refrigerated cookie dough rolls and biscuit rolls. You know, the dough's rolled up, ready to go, and you just have to slice it up and pop it in the oven. You'll often find it in those. So where possible, eliminate these foods. Uh, Hydrogenated fats are linked to, again, a higher risk of strokes, heart disease, and insulin sensitivity and diabetes. So remember, you know, for our longevity and for our health, we're really trying to manage our blood sugar. We're trying to avoid, you know, massive peaks and spikes. So if we want to make, you know, and really help our blood sugar levels and manage our insulin sensitivity, then we want to try to avoid these hydrogenated fats. Okay, halfway through, we're hitting number five. So we want to try to avoid foods containing seed oils. Now, I've done a couple of episodes previously about seed oils, and you guys know that I'm not a fan of them at oil at all, just because they're, you know, they are not good for our health. But we'll recap a little bit. And in this episode, I want to talk a little bit about how they're manufactured, because I haven't gone through that before. And I think this is an important process to know why we're trying to eliminate these foods. But if we're talking about seed oils, we're referring to canola oil, rice bran oil, corn oil, soybean, sunflower, safflower, and cottonseed. So any of these oils are referred to as industrial seed oils, and we want to eliminate them from our diet where we can. Now, How are they made? Well, first of all, the seeds are gathered. So, you know, whether or not it's seeds from soy or corn or cotton, they're gathered from the plants and, you know, the farmers harvest them and then the seeds are heated to an extremely high temperature. Now, this causes the unsaturated fatty acids in the seeds to oxidize and it creates a byproduct or many byproducts that are harmful to human and animal health. So it makes them unstable. And you guys know, if you know about, you know, we know antioxidants in fruits and vegetables and foods are really protective. They protect us against aging, against free radicals. So they protect us against these particles that are trying to, you know, age our cells and destroy our cells. But what this heating does, it is actually creates these oxidized, you know, chemical byproducts, which are terrible for our body. 
Now, after they, you know, heat it up, the seeds are then processed with a petroleum-based solvent. Now, petroleum is petrol, so they're processed with a petrol-based solvent. So I don't know about you, but I don't want any type of petrol chemical in my body or near my body for that matter. So this is another reason why we don't want to have seed oils. But these petroleum-based solvents are generally things like hexane, and they're used to maximize the amount of oil that they can extract from the seeds. Next, they use the industrialized seed oil manufacturers. They use chemicals to deodorize the oils because once they've created this oil, they stink. They have a terrible smell. And you can go on YouTube and, you know, if you Google, um, you know, how to make seed oils or seed oil extraction and how they're made, you will see videos of how they're made. But the smell is terrible. So to, you know, get rid of that terrible smell, they then add in a deodorization process, which produces trans fats which again, are really well known to be harmful to our health. And then finally, once they've done that, they add more chemicals to improve the color and, you know, make sure that that odor is much better um, to the seed oil so that we will then go and buy it. So really, there is nothing good about seed oils at all. And you know, I don't know about you guys, but that made me, you know, when I learned that process of how they made and I saw how it was being made and I thought, well, how did they become so popular then? Why are our shelves in the supermarkets lined with canola oil and safflower oil and sunflower oil and, you know, all these ads saying that they're healthy and grown from seeds and, you know, heart healthy? How did this happen? Well, you can do some research on it, you know, yourselves if you want to dive in. But essentially the short form of what happened is, is back in the 1940s, there was, you know, research done on these seed oils. And that research that came out suggested that they were heart healthy and they could help lower cholesterol. And so the government bodies jumped on and went, oh, well, this is going to be fantastic for people's health. Let's start promoting it. Now, Since that time, that research that showed these effects has since been proven faulty. It wasn't true. It was the studies were not done well and the evidence for that, there is no evidence essentially. But by the time they uncovered that, it was kind of too late. You know, all these different, you know, institutions, whether it's not, it's the Heart Health Foundation or, you know, the government doing their guidelines for diet. They'd already instigated, you know, their pyramids, their food pyramids and and the seed oils being healthy. And so it had just gotten so much traction that it was almost too late to pull back. Now, there was also at the time an excess of corn and an excess of these crops that they just didn't know what to do with. And so at the time, they thought, hey, this is a great idea. We can utilize our crops, get more money out of, you know, utilizing all these crops rather than wasting them and make these seed oils. So there's since been many studies since showing their detrimental effects, but that advertising is still out there to say that they are healthy for your heart and you should have them. But actually seed oils have been linked to increased inflammation in the body, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, osteoarthritis, and autoimmune disease. So again, if we can get rid of them, fantastic. And what we want to swap them for is 
olive oil, okay? Olive oil is made from olives, not much else, very easy. You could, you know, if you have an olive tree, you can make olive oil at home, okay? It's pretty much that easy. Um, Ghee is another great option, grass-fed butter, coconut oil, avocado oil, walnut oil. So if we're looking to swap out these seed oils, there are lots of other alternatives. So it's just a matter of, you know, finding them in the supermarket, making some healthy swaps and eliminating those seed oils where you can. And the other thing to look out for is seed oils are in so many foods. So check the back packet, you know, turn the packet round, look at the ingredient list because you'll find canola oil and sunflower oil and rapeseed oil hidden in those ingredient lists from things like cakes and cookies to even healthy foods or things that you think are healthy like muesli and muesli bars and stir fry sauces and even pickled vegetables. So Always look at the ingredient list and choose an alternative that will have olive oil in it or, you know, a different healthy fat rather than these seed oils. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that you can download a free 15-minute core Pilates workout that I've designed especially for you to work your entire body and your core, including your pelvic floor and deep layer of abdominals, to really build strength, stability, and mobility. This is a nice quick workout you can fit into your day. It's definitely 100% doable. You don't need any equipment to do it. And I guarantee once you finish your 15 minutes of Pilates, you will feel stronger, more energized, taller, and really joyful and happy for moving your body and getting those endorphins moving. So don't forget, head on over to the show notes and download that free core workout and try some Pilates with me. I can't wait to see you on your mat. Okay, number six, we're trying to avoid foods that have sugar or a seed oil in the first four ingredients. So we've talked about the seed oils, but why is the first four ingredients important? Well, when you're looking at a packet, when they have the ingredient list, the highest ingredient is listed first. So say we have a muesli and, you know, we have 100% ingredients. And if the first ingredient is sugar, then we know that the highest, you know, ingredient in this food is actually sugar. It could be 70% sugar or 80% sugar or 60% sugar, but it's going to be the highest ratio. So always look at those first four ingredients. If seed oil is in it, put it back on the shelf. And if sugar is in the first four, really think about, do I need to have this? So especially with a muesli, you know, the first four ingredients should be oats, nuts, seeds, you know, it shouldn't be sugar. If it's sugar is the first four ingredients, it's not going to be a healthy food. So definitely check that out. Look at the back of the packet and avoid where possible. Most of the time you'll find sugar, you know, as the first couple ingredients in most of the processed foods. So things like chips and cakes and crackers and, you know, cookies and that. But also look at foods like dairy foods, like yogurt. If sugar is in that, you know, top couple of ingredients, then you know that yogurt is really high in sugar. So again, you'd be better off getting a Greek yogurt that's much lower in sugar and adding in some, you know, whole fruit with fiber in it to sweeten it up, then grabbing that higher sugar alternative. So if you can pop those foods back on the shelf.
Number seven, we want to avoid any foods that contain high fructose corn syrup. Now, generally, this is probably affecting our US listeners mainly, but it has seeped into a lot of products around the world, especially if they're exported from the US as well. So always check, look at the back of the packet. Again, check if there's high fructose corn syrup in it. Now, high fructose corn syrup studies have shown that it is linked to an increased risk of obesity, diabetes, again, inflammation in the body, high triglycerides, and something that we call non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So not great for our body at all. And in general, people are like, well, what's the difference between high fructose corn syrup and sugar? Like, why is high fructose corn syrup so bad? Well, most starchy carbs, so things like, you know, rice and pasta and even fruits and veg, they're broken down into glucose when we are absorbed them. So we eat them, we chew them, we mash them up, they get broken down, and most of them break down into glucose, which is then absorbed into our bloodstream. So glucose is really the basic form of carbs. Now, glucose is easily transported and it's utilized by every cell in our body. It's also the predominant fuel source for high intensity exercise. So if you were going to go for a run, your body wants glucose. It's a high intensity exercise. Your body is going to want to burn glucose. Okay. So if you eat a piece of fruit before you go for a run, you'll probably feel pretty energized. You get that hit of glucose. You also get, you know, some fiber, vitamins, nutrients, phytochemicals, chemicals, pretty good digestion. Okay. Fantastic. Now, when we look at table sugar, rather than a whole food, we look at table sugar that say you might add, you know, to your coffee or your tea. Table sugar is made up of 50% glucose and 50% fructose. So fructose is a different form of sugar. Okay. Our Carbs, when they're broken down, as we said before, most of our whole food carbs are broken down into glucose. Some are broken into fructose. You know, there's fructose and fruit and veg and different types of fruit and veg. But generally, you know, it's mainly glucose and then fructose, whereas table sugar is 50-50. So in contrast, the fructose from high fructose corn syrup or the table sugar needs to then be converted into glucose or it's converted to glycogen and stored, um, or fat by the liver before it can be used as fuel. So there's an extra step that our body has to take to use that fuel. If we eat glucose, we can use it straight away. If we have lots of fructose, we've got to break it down into glucose and then use it, or it gets broken down into glucose and then converted to glycogen, which is stored in the liver, which is another topic, you know, on storing fats and and sugars and carbs. But, you know, that's the extra process our body needs to go through. So it's important to note that the detrimental effects of fructose in added sugars and in high fructose corn syrup should not be equated with the fructose in fruit. So I was saying before that you do get fructose in fruit. But it's very difficult to consume too many apples or too many pears that are higher in fructose in comparison to processed foods that are packed with high fructose corn syrup. So, for example, you know, you could probably eat 10 biscuits with high fructose corn syrup in it, but if you tried to eat 10 apples, 
it's really going to be so much harder. Plus with the way that whole foods are made with fiber and vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals all sort of bound together, it's digested more slowly so we have a slower spike of sugar. Whereas when that table sugar or high fructose corn syrup is consumed, it gives us a pretty much straight blood sugar spike because it's already in that form of, you know, fructose and it's much more easily absorbed. It doesn't have fiber to slow it down. So if we can, we want to get rid of the high fructose corn syrup because it's just not great for our bodies again, but it's generally found in mainly processed foods. So turn over the packet, have a look, you know, again, it's a cheaper form. So rather than using sugar, they use high fructose corn syrup because it's cheap to use. And so they will add that into the products so they can make more money. It's not to help us, you know, with our health at all. Okay, moving on. We're nearly there. Highly processed foods is our number eight. So we want to try to avoid highly processed foods that don't contain whole food ingredients. So generally these foods are higher in sugar and fat as well as other ingredients. They tend to have more of those chemicals and colorings and food additives that we're talking about previously. So if we go to the supermarket and we're shopping around the edge of the supermarket and we grab fruit and veg and nuts, you know, and some meat and some fish, they generally, they don't have food labels because they don't need them. They're a whole food. We know what's in a fish is a fish. And we know that's what's in a banana is a banana. We don't, you know, we know there's not chemicals and preservatives and food-like substances added to those foods. So where possible, Get rid of the processed foods, especially ones that have more than sort of eight ingredients, you know, because they're going to be having, you know, chemicals and things added to them and really stick to those whole foods where you can. All right. Number nine, any foods that you can get at a takeaway or drive through window. Now, I wanted to add this in and I put some thought into this because, you know, you can get some healthier foods at takeaway, you know, or a drive-through window, but they're very few and far between. So if you're going through a drive-through window, you could get a cup of black coffee, which is, you know, fairly okay for your health. But generally, if we're going to a drive-through window, we're going to be looking at burgers and chips or, you know, chicken tenders or ice creams or sundaes or donuts. We're looking at those processed foods again. So, If we can avoid them, we really want to avoid them because these types of foods are not made with healthy or whole food ingredients. They're generally made with cheaper ingredients so that these companies can make money. They have chemicals and preservatives added to them to extend their shelf life and the quality of the ingredients are compromised. I saw a really um, great video, you know, it's been around for many years, you know, pop up on social showing that if you make french fries at home and I make you know chips at home all the time all you need is potatoes olive oil and salt and pepper so four ingredients but if you go to these takeaway places and you get french fries and you actually look at the ingredients in the fresh french fries there's about 10 to 12 ingredients there's definitely no olive oil there's just cheap ingredients you know and food like substances added so that they can make it cheaper to make so they can make more profit. So 
really look and think about that if you are going to get takeaway, what is the healthiest type of takeaway you could get? Could you go to a local restaurant where you know it's, you know, it might be family run. So they, you know, they buy locally and they're using whole food ingredients. You know, could you also, if you're, you know, need to go and get um, you know, a drive-through meal, are there healthier options? Are there whole food options rather than looking at chips and pizzas and burgers where you know there's going to be a lot of processed um, chemicals added or processed types of foods or even just the manufacturing process, you know, is laden with chemicals and that as well. So looking, you know, if we can cook from home, batch cook so it makes it easier, you know, then we don't need to order takeaway because we can just take something out of the freezer. And if we are going to get takeaway, look at trying to get something local rather than going to the fast food outlets or the drive-throughs. Okay, last up, number 10 is alcohol. Yes. Now, no one again usually wants to hear about cutting out alcohol, but Alcohol can affect our brain health. It makes our liver work harder. It affects our hormone production. It increases estrogen levels in women. So this is really important for women who are starting to go through perimenopause and menopause who may be struggling with these times of their lives with symptoms. And they can be various symptoms from, you know, breast tenderness to maybe it's painful periods if you're going through perimenopause. Maybe it's things like night sweats and that when you're going through menopause. So if we want to get rid of those symptoms, one of the best ways that we can help those symptoms is eliminating alcohol. Now, there are a few stats which I think are really surprising when you think about alcohol, and that is that women have a high associated risk with if they're consuming alcohol with increasing their risk for breast cancer. So if you are a woman and you are having three drinks a week, three alcoholic drinks a week, you have a 15% higher risk of developing breast cancer than non-drinking women. Now, 15% is quite a lot, you know, three drinks a week, that doesn't sound like a lot, but also here we're talking about standard drinks. So a standard drink of wine is 100 ml, could be 120, but, you know, it's half of what most people generally pour. So if you pour what you would usually pour in a glass, you're probably pouring closer to 250 ml, which is actually two standard glasses. And if you do that twice a week, you're already up to four glasses a week. So it can creep up on you without even realizing it. So definitely pay attention to how much you pour as well and what is a standard drink. Now, on top of that, you know, study, you know, stat there, for every extra drink you have per week or women have per week, your risk goes up by another 10% for developing breast cancer. So if you have three drinks a week, you're a 15% higher risk of developing breast cancer. But say you have four drinks a week, four standard drinks a week, you're at 25% increased risk. And if you have five standard drinks, you're at 35%. So you get where I'm going with this. Each additional drink stacks up pretty quickly. So a really easy thing we can do is eliminate alcohol. Ta-da, I said it, and it might sound horrible, 
But, you know, nowadays there are so many fantastic non-alcoholic wines out there. So if you really enjoy having a glass of wine, there's lots of different non-alcoholic wines. Um, Kombucha, I'll often have a kombucha, which is fantastic, you know, with a really, you know, just a squeeze of lime and some ice cubes. And it feels really summery and celebratory and really nice to have. Now, that's not saying, you know, that you should never have alcohol ever again. I will have a glass of alcohol, you know, if it's a celebration or something like that, but I'm definitely more aware. I don't tend to drink at all during the week. It's very occasionally I would have something, um, you know, if we're catching up with someone or something like that. And for me, it's become, you know, one of those sort of sort of not rare, but one of those things that I'll add it in very occasionally. And more so because I know when I do have alcohol, it affects my sleep. I definitely don't sleep as well. I never wake up the next day feeling like I have as much energy. I don't concentrate or focus as well. Um, I know that it's making my liver work a lot harder. So trying to dial in your health and reduce your risk of disease and cancer, then cutting out alcohol is a fantastic place to start. And if it sounds too scary to cut out alcohol completely, then try to drop the amount of alcohol that you're having. Go from having two glasses with dinner to just having one glass. And then looking at maybe I only have an alcoholic drink one day a week or two days a week at the most, Um, you know, and gradually look to bring it down, you know, to no alcohol where you can, okay, it's different for everybody. Um, But it's definitely if you are a woman and you are going through perimenopause and menopause and you're really trying to dial in your health and minimize some of those symptoms and potentially, you know, reduce your risk of cancer, especially if you've got, you know, a history of it in your family, then cutting out alcohol is a great place to start. So that's our 10 all up. So again, we talked about some specific foods, but then we also talked about just generally when we're looking to choose foods, what should we look at avoiding? So I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. As always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, if you can do that, that would be amazing. I would be forever grateful. The subscribes tells everybody else how much you like this podcast and uh, just helps to show that uh, it's a great podcast to listen to. So have a fantastic week, everybody, and I'll be back next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.